there was one thing Carl Jung did not want in his followers. I do not want anyone, he wrote, to be a Jungian. I want people above all to be themselves. Should I be found one day only to have created another ism, I would have failed in all I tried to do. The individual is all important, as he is the carrier of life, and his development and fulfilment are of paramount significance. Nobody else can live your life for you or instead of you. My path is not your path, he said. But he did feel he could arrow a pathway. At the centre of his psychology is the individuation process. Individuation is the experience of a natural law, an inner self-regulating process, by which a person becomes a whole human being, acknowledging and living out the total range of ourselves. In the process, the ego is ultimately faced with something larger than itself, a force within to which it yields and serves. The human being thus recognises itself as both material and spiritual, conscious and unconscious. Jung was at pains to point out that the wholeness he spoke of meant completion, not perfection. Before we strive after perfection, he said, we ought to be able to live the ordinary man without self-mutilation. He alerted that the way to wholeness was not necessarily an easy one. There is no place where those striving after consciousness could find absolute safety. Doubt and insecurity are indispensable components of a complete life. A complete life does not consist in a theoretical completeness but in the fact that one accepts without reservation the particular fatal tissue in which one finds oneself embedded and that one tries to make sense of it or to create a cosmos from the chaotic mess into which one is born. If one lives properly and completely, time and again, one will be confronted with a situation of which one will say, this is too much. I cannot bear it any more. Then the question must be answered. Can one really not bear it? The individuation process often begins to make itself felt out of a negative state, such as boredom or stagnation in life, a blow to the ego, a broken relationship, a wounding of the personality. But our conscious eye is not the total psyche. There is an unconscious background that operates subliminally, whether we realise it or not. The individuation process plugs us in to those undertones. Making them conscious enlarges and deepens our experience of ourselves and of life. The unconscious speaks to us in the language of symbols, often in the form of dreams. Looking for those signs and symbols that rise in us naturally, analysing, interpreting and synthesising them into our being 
is the work of our conscious selves. The first unconscious layer we encounter is what Jung calls the shadow. The parts of ourselves we don't like, don't know and don't want to know and usually project as qualities onto a person or group we don't like. This negative shadow can present us with a shortcoming in ourselves to be overcome. But there is also the positive shadow. Qualities, gifts, meaningful parts of ourselves that we need to take into account, develop and live out, and often project instead onto hero figures or people we admire. Jung knew this shadow well in himself. My shadow, he wrote, is indeed so huge that I could not possibly overlook it in the plan of my life. In fact, I had to see it as an essential part of my personality, accept the consequences of this realisation and take responsibility for them. Recognising the shadow is what Jung called the apprenticeship of individuation. It leads to the next stage, encountering the anima or female part working within a man and the animus or masculine part operating within a woman, which we all have. In a man, the anima symbolises the function of relationship, which is often influenced by and projected onto the mother image or a partner. In a woman, the animus represents the creative spiritual forces that can be influenced by and projected onto the father image or a partner. Recognising, negotiating and integrating these opposites, Jung called the masterpiece phase. We are, he wrote, crucified between the opposites and delivered up to the torture until the reconciling third takes shape. The reconciling third that appears is the innermost nucleus of the psyche, the organising centre that includes the ego but is not defined by it. A transpersonal, transcendent reality that Jung named the self with a capital S. The encounter with the self is a centering which completes the individuation process. Everything essential, he wrote, happens in the self and the ego operates as a receiver, spectator and transmitter. It is the self that gives the ego inner power for the creative renewal of life. But Jung always stressed that it's important to maintain a balance between inner and outer reality. If one can stay in the middle, no one is human, relate to both the god and the animal, one is all right. One must remember, over the animal is the god, with the god is the god's animal. <laughs>